This podcast is proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web. Greg Moyle and Ryan Melton from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. This is not to be seen as personal advice as it is a podcast, but will give you the tools you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. Welcome everyone back to part three of retirement planning. There's probably hundreds of parts, but obviously we can't get too personal. It's uh, just a podcast. But yeah, this one's really about, I guess, giving people tools and the mindset to be aware of when they come to the decision where they want to think about investing. Uh, KiwiSaver is an investment vehicle that people are maybe aware that that's actually what the underlying thing is with KiwiSaver. But this this is really just being aware of um, where to put your money. So in terms of uh, investing in the mindset and the underlying rules to follow, is there there's certain experiences that you've had where you've learnt as a result not to obviously go down that field with investing? Well, experiences, I suppose, are about what I learnt when I was working many, many years ago in the corporate fraud unit of the Justice Department, that investing is a, is a way of... Um, placing money so that it's available for you at some point in time in the future, but there's a level of safety involved. That's an investment. Quite different from a speculation, which is what most people confuse with investment. Now, they think that, oh, there's this wonderful opportunity in possum fur. You know, it's going to be great, so I'm going to make a lot of money, or goats, or trees, or or something of that ilk. It could be a, a cash crop, avocados or PJs. That's not an investment. It could be a business if you were running it yeah. and you'll either succeed or fail like all businesses. Um, if you're putting money into it and someone else is managing it, I'd suggest to you that's a speculation, not an investment, because you could lose it all. Mm. And frankly, most times people did. Yeah. If I look back to those days and I thought there's an old saying about a fool and their money are soon parted, uh, it was definitely true. It's still true today, but people I think are a little smarter today than they were back then because there's more information out there. You know, the various columnists writing um, at least make people aware of some of the options. Hmm. The people... Um, talk about financial literacy, at least they know what they don't know. In the past, people just didn't have the thought at all. Um, why? Often, ordinary people just didn't have money. If I go back into my parents' or grandparents' generations, they just didn't have the money that someone like myself has had or, or you know, people of my age group or younger have had a lot more disposable income to do things with. There's lots more choices. Um, most of them are quite good choices compared to some of the bizarre choices of hmm. the past. What we have today is fantastic arrangements that means that if you need to um, protect your money, you can do that through an institution. And um, those institutions in the past, for example, the banks, only really dealt with cash or term deposits. Hmm. But the banks now will run managed funds. Uh, you've got the insurance companies in the past 
basically only dealt in type insurance type products, yeah. which weren't particularly cost effective, and had you know all sorts of other issues, i.e. the the benefits they passed on to the the brokers or the salespeople, um, which were at odds with the benefits to the investors. You know, you had a savings scheme in the past, uh, an insurance saving scheme where basically the first two years of the saving uh, went to the advisor and the company. So you can imagine if you were saving $500 a month, mm. 6000 a year, after two years you'd say, I've saved 12000 Look at your balance at zero. Because <laughs> it's been eaten up in fees to the agent and money retained by the company. Jeez. Uh, that's terrible. Yeah. You, know, you do that today in a managed fund, um, probably the fees might be based on $6,000 a year, maybe $180 a year, 360 over two years. So that's 12000 less 360 but the earnings will be compounded. Yeah. And you go, oh, so you're probably ahead of the picture, even paying a 3% upfront fee. Mm. Uh, KiwiSaver, of course, is even more cost-effective because there's nothing to get in, uh, and it has some benefits. Benefits being that you get a government subsidy, a tax credit, $521 based on you saving 1042 However, KiwiSaver has some other issues which are not benefits for some people because you can't get your money when you need it. Yeah. You know, you're really locked in till age 65 or longer if they put the age of retirement up. Mm. So it could be 67, it could be 70. And that might not work for everyone. So it's free to get in. It has some benefits, um, particularly the benefit coming from your employer who puts a matching 3%, if you've put in 3%, plus the government tax credit, but there are some, um, they're not costs, but they're, they're, they're detriments. Mm. You don't have the free use of your money, which you would have if you put money into a managed fund, which you might have to pay a small commission or fee to do, but the money is always yours and you can draw upon it. Yeah, There's no tax credit and there's no employer contribution, but the money is there. So that provides... An excellent way for a younger person, if they've got no debt, uh, to save into KiwiSaver, but it's locked up, but they could also put money into a managed fund. Those managed funds are a lot more cost-effective and a lot more transparent than they used to be 30 or 40 years ago. And so when people hear managed funds, they may not necessarily understand the underlying reasoning on why they structure it the way they do, but... Why should someone consider a managed fund over just direct putting all their money in Tesla? Because their neighbour told them that that's going to be the the next winner. Into what? Into Vista? Tes- uh, Tesla, the oh, uh, Tesla, electronic the company. Electric cars. Yeah. Ah, well, one's a speculation, one's an investment. <laughs> the if you're putting all your money into Tesla or you know, any share, it can be you know IBM, it can be. Um, uh, some mining company or whatever, that's a speculation. You might make a lot of money mm. or you might lose it all. Yeah. So that comes back to your risk profile, how much money you're prepared to lose. 
The answer is none. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't speculate, would you? You'd mm. invest and you'd have a balanced portfolio. The Warren, you know, if someone was coming with some money to invest, remember, you're always going to be asking the question, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Yeah. What's the goal? What's the expectation you have of return? What's the time frame? So, again, if you're thinking about someone with a short time frame, um, less than 12 months, I'd be saying you'd probably put it into the bank. Yeah. Because its access to the money is more important than necessarily the return. Mm. But if you're talking about money saved for a longer-term event, it could be retirement, but it could be something else. It could be saving for uh, the deposit on the home. It could be saving for some other asset. You might look at basically putting your money somewhere where it's still accessible, but not as accessible, but it's likely to get a bit of a better return. Yeah. Um, but still comes down to how much money you prepared to lose. So, yeah, obviously in terms of comparing speculation and investing, someone may hear of a managed fund and heard these horror stories and might not really grasp why they won't lose all their money. So why, why is a managed fund slightly different in that sense? Okay, that... It comes back a little bit to your earlier question, which I don't think I answered particularly well. <laughs> Good on you. The, what is a managed fund? Well, that's a new concept in relative terms. Yeah. Um, I remember watching a TV program called Miami Vice. <laughs> and one <laughs> of the characters on the program, not the main character, was left some money. Yeah. Not a huge amount of money, but left some money. And when asked what he was going to do with it, he said, I'm going to put it into a managed fund. Mm. And I thought, wow, I'd just gone into the business. So I think that must have been the late 80s when I saw that that TV program. And here's someone in America talking about a managed fund as a vehicle to invest. Yeah, That would have been completely different if it would have been put to a similar person in New Zealand. Yeah. If a policeman had been told, look, you've got some money to invest, uh, what are you going to do with it? Uh, it wouldn't have been, I'll put it into a managed fund. <laughs> it would be, oh, I think I'll buy some shares. I hear that Tesla's doing very well, uh, <laughs> or whatever. You know, clearly, both had no clue at all. Yeah. The policeman in America, the policeman here, the policeman in America was better educated from the point of view of financial literacy would say, I don't know what I don't know, so I'll get some advice and I'll put it where the money is protected. Uh, the policeman in New Zealand would be going, I know everything. Um, I've, someone's told me at a party that the test is going to do really well, so I'm going to put it in there and I'm going to make a lot of money. And one is why it makes nothing and loses it. You know, the guy in America, the money will be protected. Why? Because generally a managed fund has a number of advantages that are a speculation doesn't have. Yeah. One, of course, is diversification. Mm-hmm. If we call compound interest the eighth wonder of the world, diversification would have to be the ninth. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. So if you're in a managed fund, even if it's just a managed share fund, yeah, it won't just be in one share, Tesla. Mm. It'll be in a whole number of shares. It could be 20, it could be 50. If it's an index fund, it could be several hundred. So... For a start, you're reducing the risk of the specific asset, but you're not diversifying in respect of an asset class. 
So shares is an asset class distinct from property, bonds or cash. Mm. If you put it in the share market and the share market goes into a decline for the next five years, you're not going to get a tremendous amount of return. Mm. You won't lose your money unless you crystallise the investment, which in case you lose some of it, but you won't lose it all because you've diversified. If you put it into one share and that one share crashes, New Zealand, Feltex, you've lost a lot. So diversification gives a level of protection. It won't necessarily guard you from volatility because if the market tanks, that fund will tank, drop by 5, 10, 15, 20% or more. So how do you avoid that? Well, the next level of diversification is per asset classes. Mm. So if you've got money in the share market, a counter to that would be to have money in cash or bonds. Yeah or property, which probably is a little more stable than a specific company, mm-hmm. but you don't expect to get the same sort of return. Yeah. So return and risk follow each other like night and day. And if you want a higher return, you're going to have to have more money in growth investments like share and property. Uh, if you put money into the share market, they say that you should get a real return between 5 and 7%. That's on the average, but you're going to suffer a lot of volatility. It's going to look a little bit like a roller coaster. If you put money into property, they say that might be three to five. Mm. Less of a roller coaster, but still the ups and downs. If it was direct property, people fool themselves because they never actually look at the capital value. Yeah. Uh, they don't know. If you put it into a listed property, which is a bit like a share market investment, but only invested in property it gets marked to market. What that means is it gets valued on a daily basis and they'll take into account the rent, they'll take into account interest rates and that will give some sort of capital value to that particular asset. And of course, similarly with bonds, if interest rates go up, the value of long-dated bonds go down. If interest rates go down, the value of long-dated bonds goes up. Simply because you're getting a better return than the rest of the market. So the rest of the market will pay you a capital value to get the return of the market. Mm -hmm. Your price goes up. The converse is true. If interest rates go up, you're not getting the return that the rest of the market's getting. Uh, To get that return, a buyer would want to discount your bonds so they get the same return as the market. The value drops. And cash, well, cash is cash. Cash is just effectively a holding position until you work out which way you really want to go. Yeah. So what does a managed fund do? A managed fund allows you to put all four asset classes into one pool, Mm -hmm. into one investment vehicle called a balanced trust, or it could be a growth trust, or it could be an aggressive trust. When I say the word trust, I'm... A managed fund is a trust. It's a unit trust. Yeah. Because effectively, you hold units in that managed fund, Mm -hmm. which are held in trust for you, and your unit value reflects your the value of the the fund broken down into units, and that unit will go either up or down. Mm Kiwi Saver is the same model if you think about it, and the reason we can have Kiwi Saver is because of the growth of managed funds over time. 
and the sophistication of the systems tracking the value so it can be broken down on a day-by-day basis in each of the asset classes, cash, bonds, property and shares, mm-hmm. unitized. So you, in a KiwiSaver fund, have a certain number of units in that fund. And you can go to many decimal places, as you can imagine it would do. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously on that, I mean, if people wanted to look a bit more in depth on the underlying academic research on it, it's, it's called the modern, modern portfolio theory. But in terms of that, the challenging thing with people in life is we can't predict the future and we don't know, obviously, what's going to happen next and we may need to make withdrawals. So you talked about how shares go up and down. What is it about the portfolio or the modern, obviously, um, fund manage? That made no sense, got completely lost there. But essentially, like the flexibility. So how come if the shares are down, why would the bonds be doing better? Or are they all the same, people may ask? Well, hopefully they... Um you know, they, they're kind of, not so much opposites, but the movements in the market affect them in different ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes they can all go in the same direction, you know. Like yeah. If interest rates go down, the value of the bonds go up. If they're long-dated, longer-term longer maturity, mm-hmm. right? Maturity means, you know, you put your money in today, but when can you get the money back? Yeah. So if you buy government bonds, 10-year bonds today... The government will repay you that money in ten years' time. Mm-hmm. That's quite a long period of time. Yeah. So if interest rates go down during that period of time, the value of your bond goes up. If interest rates go up, the value of your bond goes down for the reasons I mentioned before. But it's always sellable. You know, you can sell it. Um, there's a market for it. Same with listed property. Same with listed shares. So I'm not a great fan for. Uh, unlisted shares because the problem is how do you get out of them yeah um, I'm not a great fan for direct property uh, because often you've got too many eggs in one basket but I understand that people really enjoy that whether it's rental commercial or rental residential but what you've got to realize is that you're actually running a business mm. and you can't just adopt a passive approach to it if you do you'll probably underperform what you could have done or you might actually suffer a bit of a disaster because you might be forced to sell at the wrong time. That's often happened with leveraged property. You know, when people borrow money to buy property, yeah. um, they get caught by the market, interest rates go up, the capital value goes down, they have some other interruption so they can't fund it. You, know, you lose your tenant, lose your job. Suddenly you're it's a forced sale, a mortgagee sale, and there's blood on the carpet, mm. and you've lost a lot of money. So that's the problem with direct property. I mean, the one that um, I think everyone should give an absolute big um, uh, steer away from, avoid, is what I call syndicated property, Yeah, which is often pushed out there as a fantastic way of getting into property, but you don't have to put all your money in. You don't have to take responsibility to manage it. And I'm going, well, that's all very well, but how do you get out of it? Yeah. You know, is there a secondary market for the property? There may be. And if so, but who runs that secondary market? Mm-hmm. If you're going to go that way, you'd be far better to go into uh, the share market and invest in those companies that are directly property-based. And they're, and they're out there. Yeah. Because the problem with syndicate, I think, it's not a fish nor fowl. You, know, you cannot 
manage it because it's been managed for you, which mm-hmm. is probably a good thing, <laughs> but you can't exit it unless there's a buyer. And if it gets mismanaged or the market turns on you, it's a liquid. You can't get your money out. I don't like that. I can accept that with KiwiSaver because of the nature of it, and it's a bit of a social contract between the government and your employer. So you are kind of locked in. But for other money, I believe it's really important to stay liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing you can be certain of in life is that things will change. Uh, there's an old saying in the army that the, the, the general's plan for the battle uh, might as well be ripped up after the first shot is fired you know, because everything changes. Yeah. You know, the unexpected happens. So flexibility, manoeuvrability is the key. So in the investment markets, it's about saying, well, I know what my investment profile is. I might be prepared to go more growth uh, because I've got a longer term or I might be more income because I've got a shorter term. You know, this is as you move into retirement. But if my circumstances change, I can change the investment strategy to fit and I can also access the money if I want to. Now, that requires a level of discipline, and that's why sometimes having a trusted advisor alongside you Mm. to assist you is well worth the money that it costs to have that person. Um, Because I've often been told by people, oh, well, yeah, I like the advice, but I don't like the fees, and I go, I understand that. Um, I understand that people come and do work on your home for nothing, and uh, lawyers never charge, and accountants are free. Um, in fact, you know, anytime you're hungry, just go to the supermarket and help yourself. There's not a problem. The, the reality is, if you want advice, there's going to be a cost to it. Yeah. Um, it's worth paying for if you get good advice. And if the advice means that you do not lose your capital mm. and you're able to live the, the life, live the dream, and not run out of money before you run out of life, I think it's worth paying for. Let, let me give you a little example. This is a real example. I saw um, some people who came to see one of my partners, and uh, these people um, basically were in a, in a terrible position, and they didn't know what to do. Uh, we actually couldn't help them because it got beyond that, because what had happened is they had sold a rental property, now, it was a very good property, an Auckland-based property, and they got $700,000, which was a lot. Back then, yeah. And, you know, remember what I said in the early um, podcast, if you had $700,000 and you were coming up to retirement in a balanced portfolio, That's I would it. say that you could spend $42,000 a year, $3,500 a month, mm-hmm. inflation-adjusted, and it would take you 25 to 30 years before you ran out of money. I'm sure by that stage you'd probably run out of life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've been able to do all the things you want to do, and, um, okay, the kids might not get much of that money, but they'd get the house and whatever else. You know, it's, a, it's a, I think, a win-win. You live the life you want, but you're still leaving something for the people that you care about. Yeah. What these people did is they didn't want to pay for advice, so they actually went and invested the money in a finance company. Now, I use the word invested loosely because clearly it was a speculation, not an investment, but they actually went through an advisor 
who personally should have been struck off if it was anything to do with me um, because that advisor just gave them the prospectus for capital and merchant and kept the commission, which was about 3%. Yeah. It was just right. outrageous in my view. And when I fronted the advisor, the, their attitude was these people didn't want to pay for advice. But they did pay for it. They just didn't think they were paying for it. Mm. And there's a level, in my view, of dishonesty there. Um, the people thought the advice was free, and that's what they wanted. They didn't want to pay for anything, and they basically probably came along with the prospectus anyway. Uh, if they'd come to me, I'd have turned them away. Well, I wouldn't have done the business, yeah, because I would have said, no, look, this. I don't know what the risks of this finance company, Capital Merchant, are, because I didn't know what I didn't know. There wasn't any quality research out there to tell us what they were doing with the money. Mm. They might have had a credit rating, but that credit rating was effectively not worth the paper it was written on Yeah, because some of these credit ratings, I found out later, were based on uh, the financial statements of the organisation because they were making money. It was presumed that the investments must be sound. Mm. Well, clearly with Bridge Corp and Capital Merchant and a few others, that wasn't true at all. Yeah, you know, Someone had to do the investigation and to... If these people are offering 9.5%, what are they doing with the money? Yeah. And as it transpired, you know, clearly they were speculating in the property market with property developers lending them money at a much higher rate, but it was all rolled up into the loan. So when the market collapsed, everything collapsed. Yeah. And these people were reliant on new investors to come in to pay the interest on the existing investments. In many respects, uh, you know, if that's not a Ponzi scheme, it's getting close to it. Yeah. And it's a, you know, what I'd call teaming and later robbing Peter to pay Paul. Mm. A common sort of um, fraudster con type activity that is carried out on a small, large scale basis. So, you know, what the advisor should have done is said, no, look, what you need to do, you've sold this property. Uh, you need to have a proper plan in place. What are your goals? Well, clearly, they wanted to get income from their portfolio to replace the income they were getting from the rental property. Mm. Um, the plan should be saying, well, um, this is how much you can take out so that you're not going to run out of money before you're out, out of life. Should have tested their risk temperament, which would have been conservative yeah. as opposed to you know very aggressive you know, putting it all in one one basket, uh, getting 9% when the market might pay them 7 but not understanding where that 9% was coming from because there was the level of dishonesty mm. by the finance companies because they should have been saying, well, we'll give you 15 because we're lending at 18 plus. And people say, but that must be risky. Yep, it was always risky uh, and you wouldn't have touched it with a barge pole. So if those people had been given proper professional advice, which they may not have taken, by the way. That's the yeah. problem. You can take the horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. Mm -hmm. That their money would have been protected, that their lifestyle would have been protected. In fact, they'd probably be able to improve their lifestyle as they get more comfortable with the amount of money that they have to spend. Yeah. Because a good advisor would have been able to show them that there's no way in the world they're going to run out of money before they run out of life. Mm. And... All of that went wrong because people speculated they were greedy. They didn't understand they were being greedy. They thought they were being sensible. 
um, there was an advisor who should have pushed them in the right direction but took the easy option and say, well, just you know, fill the form out and I'll post this and pick up his commission. Yeah, geez. Yeah. And this, that's the concerning thing that people don't quite realise with direct investment. I mean, one of one of the best investors of our time, Warren Buffett, he well, he reads eight hours a day just trying to find two to three companies in his lifetime, he said, that he could perceive as actually good. But is he an investor? I don't think so. I think he's a business person. Mm. His, he's in the business of investing as opposed to a mum and dad making an investment type arrangement. So he's kind of running a fund. Yeah. He's a fund manager, if you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it Berkshire Hathaway is yep. the company? Um, fantastic. I mean, we had a person like that in New Zealand called Brianley's, and he was fantastic until he wasn't. Yeah. So, you know, he made a couple of bad calls. The uh, I'll probably get sued on that. Um, but <laughs> but the investors who don't have any money in Brianley's would probably think not. Mm. You know, they, they made a, a very big investment in the UK that never paid off. Mm. If it paid off, it'd be fine, but it didn't. So the difference is, that, you know, Warren Buffett is a professional investor, if you like, through his managed fund mm-hmm. or his company, no different from people I could name in New Zealand who are, you know, uh, have run their own funds and, you know, have got much more knowledge than I have mm-hmm. and they will buy and sell shares based on the research that they have done into those companies. Um, those managed funds are, to me, quite attractive as a vehicle to put my clients into for a portion or percentage of their money. Yeah. Um, that's the way we get the asset selection and, and diversification of the investment strategy. So, you know, coming back to that situation with those poor people, you know, it was devastating Yeah, to sit there and be able to say, look, I can't help you. Uh, At that stage, Capital Merchant hadn't failed, but they couldn't get their money out. The the writing was on the wall. I mean, it was just like, you know, a slow Mm. death for them until it was worth nothing. So they ended up, having to be totally dependent. They own their own home living on New Zealand super. Now, they're not down and out because, you know, they could use the equity release, but that was the inheritance they wanted to pass on to their kids. Yeah. Um, clearly, they have to reflect that. I guarantee they didn't. Yeah. I guarantee that they'd be just living in that home, trying to survive on New Zealand super, um, feeling depressed mm. about what they'd given up. And, you know, what an awful way to live your life in retirement. Yeah, it's, it's horrible and it's a, a common story and I guess it's something we have to, to, to deal with in terms of when we meet a client, potential client, and, and building that trust and rapport and showing the underlying reasoning why things work. But even if, for example, you went on, on your own and got a managed fund, sometimes it goes up and down and, and to realize when suddenly there is a downturn in your Find to be confident that you made the right choice is quite a quite a skill. Yeah, the the issue for most people is they're not disciplined. Yeah, right. They'll chase returns like a dog chases a rabbit, mm. and you know they'll look at it. And you know, I've seen an example I tracked years ago where people got advice, not from me, but they got good advice, 
50% of the money went into interest-bearing investments, mm-hmm. the other 50% went into the share market. Oh, okay. Now, this was kind of predates the managed funds a little bit, but it didn't matter because they actually had enough shares that there was kind of a bit of diversification. Okay. So they put 50000 in each, 100000 in total. Ten years on, the 50000 was still worth 50000 which they spent come. Oh, okay, yeah. The other 50000 had gone to the dizzy heights of 300000 Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then plummeted to twelve. And because it, that's pre, before and after the stock market crash. Oh, okay. So, yeah. of course, the dizzy heights were reached by those companies that, you know, was being, people were speculating on for whatever reason, but there was probably no substance to them. And a bit like the, the emperor walking up the road with no clothes, when people realised that the, the emperor was naked, you know, <laughs> the whole situation changed. So they'd started with 100,000 and ended up with 62. Yeah. Um, hardly a success over a 10-year period no. because if inflation was as it was then, about 6% net oh, over yeah. that period of time, they halved the purchasing power of their money. Yeah, 12 years, 10. Mm, interesting. So, um, again, that's an example of uh, a lack of discipline because had they been more disciplined... Had that money all been 100000 into a balanced fund, 50% interest-bearing, 50% growth with, list, with listed property and listed shares, that 50% would have been maintained, and yes, it would have gone up, especially on the share market side. Mm-hmm. But what you'd be doing is every so often rebalancing yeah. so that you'd take your profits and slip it across to the other side. Um, even with the share market fall, they would have been well above the $100,000 when all the cards fell off the table. Yeah. And, of course, they'd actually be in better companies because someone was actually managing them. Mm. Because in those days, people bought the shares and put them in the bottom drawer and read the paper, and it was fantastic it was going up, but they never knew when to, to fold. Mm. You know, and no one to buy, you no one to hold. You got to know when to fold and take your profits. They'd never have done that, and they didn't. But a managed fund will, because someone's actually managing that fund. Yeah. You know, they'll look at each of the components and has the investment strategy been maintained? Because you don't want a managed fund that's balanced to turn into a managed fund that's now aggressive, mm. which is effectively what happened to those people. Yeah. Because then you've got something that's not fit for the purpose. It didn't rebalance. Yeah. So you know, that's the discipline of having either an advisor there or an organisation that is constantly looking to protect the money. Mm. should make money but not losing. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I mean, and just, just to give you a taste of obviously what people's perceptions are out there, we've got another thing from the NZ Herald. It's a shorter one, so people that felt me rambling on before and was testing Greg's memory, this one's short and sweet. On the 26th of January 2019, so if you want to scroll back that far in your, your cabinet, you can read that out. But <clears throat> so it's about market timing. Uh, I'm self-employed and make regular contributions to my KiwiSaver. My KiwiSaver has been losing money recently, which is fine. I'm in it for the long haul, etc. So you might be a tradie by the sounds of the language there. But I'm wondering whether I should continue to deposit it into into it when the market is down, or wait until it picks up again. The answer is easy, because what 
he's contemplating is market timing. Mm. Market timing never works. The um, why? Because people want to invest when the market's high, and they want to redeem when the market's low. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. You think about the supermarket. If you go to the supermarket, your favourite tin of salmon is uh, normally a dollar, but it's down to fifty cents. What do you do? Buy less or more? More. You buy more. As long as it's not, you know, the date's not expired. Uh, if you think of investment, the same thing. If you're buying a quality investment mm-hmm. and the price goes down, you want to buy more of it yeah, rather than less. And if you're saving on a regular basis and you've got the investment strategy right, say it's a growth investment, which might be um, 80% growth, 20% income, uh, and you're putting your money in there, if the market's dropped, you pick up more units if it's all unitized. And that's fantastic. So as the market drops, you are buying more units because they're cheaper. And when the market lifts again, as it will, mm. suddenly you've made a profit. Yeah. Now, if you try and wait to the market to get up, you're going to miss that opportunity. Mm. So markets will always provide a return but remember, for cash and bonds, the return is your return. It's the income you receive. But for the property and share market side of it, there's some capital appreciation as well because effectively companies, if you think about it, don't distribute all their profits. Yeah. They reinvest those profits to become more profitable. As long as they do that properly, that's a very good investment to make and you'll get a better return. Similarly, with the the property arrangements that you would expect, if the property is well-tenanted and well-managed, rentals will go up. If the rentals go up, the capital value of the property will go up because it's valued on a capitalisation of the rental income at a particular um, discount rate or or, or interest rate. Mm. So if interest rates go down the capital value goes up. If interest rates go up, the capital value goes down, a bit like bonds. The difference, though, with property is every two, three, whatever years, the rent gets reviewed and the rental going up. So even if the cap rate, the interest rate stays the same, Mm. the capital value goes up. Yeah. But, you know, that's a thing that happens over time. So the beauty of managed funds, KiwiSaver, whatever, is you can save a regular monthly amount or fortnightly amount, depending how you do it, and it buys units at the market price. If that market price goes down, it's not something to be despondent about. I don't think you necessarily should celebrate, but you certainly wouldn't worry about it. Mm. As long as you have confidence that your money is invested in a quality arrangement, properly managed with institutions that are credible, you know, like not going to disappear on you, Yeah, um, you'll, you'll get the lift when the market lifts. That's fantastic. Yeah. And Maybe that's the tenth wonder of the world. We call it dollar cost averaging. <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, just invest a certain amount of money every month that you can afford, mm. a surplus to your requirements, and that money invested on a dollar cost averaging basis will benefit from the market going up, but it will actually uh, also benefit 
when the market goes down because you'll be buying cheaper quality units. Yeah. Like the tins of salmon. Tins of salmon, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you, you paint the picture like that and you, it makes complete sense. But as soon as people start seeing their investments go down, they start freaking out and joining the herd. And you always talk about greed and fear around that and people get caught all up in it. Well, it's a lemming type thing, isn't it? You know, the lemmings leap off the cliff. Why? Because everyone else is. Yeah, wouldn't it be quite good to be a, a lemming with a brain? So everyone else is leaping off the cliff. I think I'll stay. Because I know it's at the bottom. Nothing but a hard rocks. So you don't want that herd instinct. You've got to be you know, disciplined enough not to follow the herd. As long as you know your money is sensibly invested in quality assets, mm. well-managed, you just stick with it. And that's the value of an advisor. Now, the trusted advisor is someone you trust to give you the appropriate advice at the time so that you don't do the lemming thing. You, know, you understand that the investment process is a longer-term arrangement. If the markets are moving against you, if you're saving for retirement, it's not a problem. You can have a growth portfolio, and yes, it might be more volatile, but you'll win as the market lifts, mm. uh, and it always does lift. And for the reasons I said before, quality companies will be worth more over time because they reinvest in themselves. Yeah, It's just a question of what's a quality company. You and I probably don't know. That's why we need other people to help us. And they might not get it right, so they don't have all their eggs in one basket either. Yeah. And, of course, the world changes. You think about the investors who had all their money in Kodak shares. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, they're gone. Why? Not because it was mismanaged. Mm. Just the world changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what's the one that was staring us in the face at the moment? You know, Sky. Yeah, you know, mm. what an amazing business model. But boy, is it coming under attack now, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Spark's stolen the sport. Um, Netflix has stolen the movies. Uh, I've got friends telling me that they're not going to renew their Sky contract. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, yet five years ago, that would have been like the the go-to company because this is where the world's going. Yeah. And um, video shops, of course... You know, they've got a problem. But, you know, the one that's really interesting is the cinemas. They never seem to be full. You can always get into them. Yeah. And the price has gone up, but they're still doing okay. Yeah. Because they've changed their business model to cater for a different range of consumers. Smart. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to work. And you go, it's just a different experience. The So... When you're you're looking at um, trying to get that 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 kind of balance right, it it it's it's tricky, and and mm. you do need to, for most people, the people that I deal with who are passive investors, they need to have someone they can rely on to hold their hand during those tough times, mm. and to help get them to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's always there. But sometimes it takes longer. And it did in the early 2000s, three yeah, years. three years, yeah. But, you know, 2008, 2009, quickly rebounded. And yeah. even in December last year, that December quarter was yeah. tough, mm-hmm. but it rebounded in January. Mm. But if you panicked... You lose. And you redeemed your investment or your portfolio, uh, you crystallized a loss that could have been avoided. Mm. And obviously crystallizing, that means obviously selling out and... You- you realize the loss because you sold it at that lower price. Mm. 
But now as we, we come to a conclusion in, in terms of this podcast, and I, I hope it's opened people's eyes a bit more, but is there sort of a, sort of passing comments you want to uh, obviously um, send on to the audience uh, regarding the investment mindset and what to be aware of? Is there something you'd like to close on? Well, I probably rambled on a little bit, and I apologize <laughs> for that if I have. It's really about playing the long game. It's about understanding what it is that you want out of life, um, trying to quantify that in respect of how much money do I need coming in month in, month out to do that, putting in place a plan that will achieve those particular goals or objectives and just enjoying life and not worrying about money. Um, you can do that if you can get the right people to work alongside you to give the right advice. Yeah. And in terms of that right advice, we're at 1A... 198 Federal Street in Auckland. So if you're in Christchurch, you can fly over. No, but ideally our doors are always open because you, your circumstances are completely unique. Uh, so any questions, send them through. We don't want to keep reading from the NZ Herald. Uh, so email me at ryan at oneplan.co.nz, numerical one. I said that enough times. But just make sure that those questions come through. So thanks, guys, and we'll talk to you next time.